0: Our New Testament scripture reading is found in your Pew Bible on pages 810-811. It's from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, "an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth." But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the very word of God.
1: And again, from Luke nine twenty three and 24, our memory verse for the day. Hear the word of God, would you? And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The very word of God. I think it was about 25 years ago or so, uh, Ellen and I went to a Broadway musical. It was entitled La Miserable, and that is French for the Miserable Ones. And uh, you may have uh, heard this title yourselves, or or may have even seen this musical yourself, because it's actually been one of the most enduring musicals uh, on Broadway, and uh, you can still go to performances today it's based on a um, a quite lengthy novel by uh, the french writer uh, victor hugo Um, i I was um, so taken by this story though that uh, we've been to see it uh, several times and i even plowed through the uh, 600 pages or so of this book I think this particular story was compelling because this writer comments about justice, about even more especially about grace and about redemption. The main, if, if you know the story, the main character is a person by the name of John Valjean, and who, as a young man, steals a loaf of bread to feed his um, sister's starving children. He's caught. He's given a harsh sentence. And while he's in prison, he grows increasingly angry and bitter about the um, injustice of this incarceration. And so he escapes. He's caught. He's given a longer sentence. He becomes angrier, and he escapes again. He's given a longer sentence, and he's finally served 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. He's finally released, but... um, he has to carry with him these papers and he t- goes from village to village and he shows them the papers and they see that he's been in prison for 19 years. And so he's turned away time and time again until he comes to a church and a priest there um, welcomes him in and gives him a warm bath and gives him clean clothes. And he sits at table with him and sets out his finest silverware so um, Jean Valjean can um, be nourished and and continue on his journey. That night, still in the throes of, of the bitterness of all these years of incarceration and the injustice that he's experienced, he decides to steal the silverware and make a run for it, and he's caught right away. And the village people bring him with the silverware to the priest and they say, what do you want us to do with him? And the priest tells the villagers, he didn't steal the silverware. I, I gave him the silverware. And then he says to John, There's a, but wait, you forgot the best pieces. Here are these two silver candlesticks. Take these as well. And he gives them to him. The rest of this long story with lots of twists and turns is a story about a transformation of a person. This angry, bitter person has been transformed by grace. And he grows in grace. He grows in compassion. He lives his life as a man of integrity and generosity. This story, um, it seems to me that this writer just took his idea from the New Testament. In fact, it seems to me that he may have been thinking about this very text that um, we're talking about today. I'd like to go, though, now from 19th century France to a real place. This is on the north um, side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, We don't really know the exact spot where... Uh, The Sermon on the Mount was preached. But um, many centuries ago, some people thought that this was the place and they uh, built a monastery there. They built a church there. And uh, so um, people go there to, um, to see this real place where Jesus may have been preaching to real people, real people like these people, I had the opportunity um, several years ago to, to travel to Israel and um, at this spot, uh, we heard the Sermon on the Mount and fortunately it was in English. If it had been in Aramaic like Jesus spoke, I guess it wouldn't have meant as much to me. But we got to hear this. People had come, as we read in Matthew 4, people had come from all over. We read that they came from Syria, they came from that Greek-speaking region of the Decapolis, they came from Jerusalem, they came from all these places walking days and days because they heard that this rabbi from Galilee was, as Matthew says, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. As we've been talking about the last few weeks, Jesus was preaching that the kingdom of God was now present and available, and these people saw that things were changing. People's lives were being changed. The sick became well. Those in pain found release, and the demon-possessed were set free. Now, I think perhaps that the people of that Time, maybe more so than we now, we live in a democracy, we live in a republic, they may have a better understanding of the idea of a kingdom not being so much um, particular geographic boundaries, but this is the place, the kingdom was where a king's authority was established and where the king's will and the king's intentions and purposes were carried out. For centuries, the people of God living there in Palestine um, knew well living under other kings. The Babylonians had come. The Persians had come. More recently, they lived under Greek rulers, now under the rule of the Roman Empire. And they had what seemed to be arbitrary laws. Part of our scripture today talks about walking a mile for a person And in um, our book, The Good and Beautiful Life, James Smith kind of gives a little bit of cultural background about a soldier making a demand that the person, he had the right to demand that the person walk a mile with him, carry his equipment, and so on. These laws seemed arbitrary and harsh. And so, when Jesus preached that uh, this good news, the kingdom of God was now present and available. This, this was good news. This was good news. So, as we've been saying, in this series um, that we've been calling The Good and Beautiful Life, we've been listening into Jesus as he's been instructing his disciples about, okay, what is, it, what is it like to live in the kingdom of God? To live in that place where God rules. We're listening in to Jesus, and he's teaching his disciples, and I think, I would argue, He's teaching those of us today who want to be with Jesus what it is like walking and talking and living in the kingdom of God. In um, saying this, the chapters in the book that we've been following talk about um, learning. Uh, And we have been, our, our sermons have been titled... Letting go. We're learning to let go. And I do want to emphasize, ah, yeah, we're not there. This is a learning process. Jesus is not now giving us a whole new set of laws to obey. Jesus is inviting us to a change of heart. To change our minds, to change the way we see God, to change the way we see ourselves, to change the way we see those around us. As we've gone over the first few paragraphs in the Sermon on the Mount, we've heard Jesus. um, What he's doing is pointing out this contrast between the way of the world and the way things are in the kingdom of God. He would say, You have heard it said, Do not murder, but I say to you. Or, Do not commit adultery, but I say to you. Or, last week we talked about, Do not break your oaths, but I say to you. But then Jesus would go on to explain what it's like in the kingdom of God. Jesus is training his disciples to live not in response to laws, not in reaction to guilt, not in reaction to shame, not in reaction to fear, not out of our need to control. And Jesus is teaching us, certainly, not that we live out of ourselves as the center and master in the kingdom of god we um, we live in response to the realities of that kingdom that god is the one that's finally in control That God loves us as we are. That God, that we are called to live by faith and we live by the law of love. In the kingdom of this world, we experience fear and vulnerability. We feel exposed. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. Um, In reaction to some of those feelings, one way to cope, um, again, our author, James Smith, talks about narratives, you know, narratives of the world. One narrative is kind of maybe the law of the jungle, what you do when you um, are experiencing those fears and vulnerabilities, you strike back. You strike back twice as hard. You strike back ten times as hard. And the law is don't be intimidated. You take control. Um, And, of course, it doesn't take much reflection to see how that has played out um, in, in the world seen today in years and years of, of conflict between the people in Northern Ireland or the people in Rwanda or the people today uh, in Israel and Palestine. In today's text, Jesus again uses this formula. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And... and um, This is an ancient principle of justice that uh, the uh, version of that in the Old Testament we find in Leviticus. uh, This is Leviticus 24. Anyone who maims another shall suffer the same injury in return. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Uh, This uh, principle of justice. came to be named by a, a Latin term, uh, lex talionis." Lex means law, "talionis" means retaliation. So, this is the law of retaliation. But um, if you think about it for a moment, this is actually a step up from the law of the jungle, you know, in those escalating vendettas that uh, occur between people. The law... Lex Talionis is actually about proportionality, uh, about reciprocity. The the penalty should fit whatever the offense was. We we might even think of our own society today. You know, I mean, what what is the rule? You know, we don't have a a king. Uh, We have the rule of law. And, and so, in that rule of law, we want things to be um, proportional. Any penalties should be proportional. Sounds good. But Jesus said, in our text this morning, he said um, that the, that law of retaliation, that law of reciprocity, that lex talionis, is not the nature of things in the kingdom of God, in the place where God rules. So, in the text that Beth read earlier, um, there's first of all, there's four examples that Jesus gives. And again, As we say, some of these seem peculiar to 21st century ears. But these are comments about how justice, uh, how conflicts in the world occur. And then Jesus talks about how people in the kingdom of God respond. And as in past weeks, Jesus continues to confound and surprise us by inverting things, by reversing things, by um, changing um, our assumptions, our expectations. In each of the cases that uh, Jesus talks about here, Someone that's in a position of dominance fairly or unfairly makes a demand on your time, makes a demand on your resources, makes a demand on your dignity and well-being. He strikes you on, Someone strikes you on the right cheek as a way of assuming control over your dignity and to reinforce their dominance over you. Or someone demands an important possession and you're told you must give up your time, your energy and walk a mile with them and walk a mile for them. Of course, as we said, one way, one narrative in the world is to strike back at these unjust demands. But as we listen to Jesus' words, is he um, teaching us instead that we sort of passively accept whatever people's demands are to accept uh, abuse from others? I think, I think not. Uh, I think that, in a way, that also is an accommodation to the world. To respond with passivity is a response of um, one that, that leads to resignation, that leads to bitterness, that uh, could lead to despair. Uh, these are all things that are just kind of the opposite of the good and beautiful life that we have been talking about. I, I don't think that Jesus was talking about sort of a passive receptivity of the demands or in the face of injustice. I think that Jesus is saying something more like this. When we are dwelling, when we are living in the kingdom of God, in that place where God rules, God himself is the source of our dignity. God himself is the one who supplies us with all the resources, all the time, all the energy to do his will, to do the tasks that he has set before us. And so, when we encounter injustice, we can turn the other cheek because our dignity comes from God. And we offer up more to the person who asks and demands from us because we're assured that we have sufficient resources. When we are asked to walk that extra mile, we are able to do that because, as the psalmist says, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. Um, again, in in this um, resource that we've been using by James Smith, uh, "The Good and Beautiful Life," he um, reflects in this week's chapter about you know is this are these responses that um, um, Jesus is talking about? Uh, is that sort of like? Um, a Type of jujitsu. Do you remember um, that uh, martial art where um, what you do is if you yield at the proper time, you can use the opponent's uh, strength and energy either to neutralize them or to um, even work against them? When you respond, out of a kingdom heart, when you give one of these kingdom responses that Jesus is talking about, the other person has to consider, okay, now what do I do? He has to consider another way to respond to a person who lives in the confidence of God's sufficiency who responds to them as God responds to us. A response of agape love. Remember, agape love. Not a feeling, but seeking the well-being of the other. And so, I think that this is the insight, especially, that that um, made that story I I mentioned earlier about John John so compelling to me. That the possibility of a response of grace, a response of love that can change a life, that changes lives and makes grace and love abound even more. But um, the examples that Jesus has talked about here, and, and this example uh, Jesus' examples are from uh, an ancient culture, and how do we fit that into today's culture? And, and the story of John Val John, that's fictional. That's, that's made up. What does that have to do with me here and now? You might remember that our text continues. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is continuing to reiterate kind of a reverse, an inverse of what we expect but indeed, he's he's reiterating this reality that life in the kingdom of God is a life of love. So, um, I think I love God. I think you are here because you love God. We want to follow Jesus. But I want to ask you, who comes to mind right now, here and now, when you think about who has ill will towards you? Or who is competing with you in some way? Or um, who are some people who get under your skin? Or who are people who cause problems in your life? Here's this strange truth, that God loves that person most dearly. And so, could it be the case that God desires to bless that person to bring grace into that person's life by your prayers and by your intentional, deliberate, attending to their concerns, to their hurts, and to their needs. Life in the kingdom of God is life lived with faith and confidence in the sufficiency of God's resources for your life. I'm offering this little challenge to you, but... Um, I'm aware of my own, and perhaps yours as well. Our tendency to um, take Jesus' words and make them into a new set of laws. Okay, so now, the law we have to obey is walking the second mile. We have to obey this law of loving our enemies. And so, we grit our teeth and we're trying to make this happen. Folks, we can't. We're only able to live into the kingdom of God by the power of Christ dwelling in us. In one of Jesus' last instructions to his disciples, he said, um, You know, if a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. What this kingdom life is about is allowing Christ to dwell in us. And as we do that, we have all the resources that we need to do the things that he has called us to do. James Smith quotes um, this theologian, Miroslav Volf. He says, When we are indwelled by Christ, who became poor we will be rich. No matter how little we have, we will be more than enough people. We began our worship this morning remembering that Christ is enough for me. Our text... um, today is from the beginning of Matthew's Gospel and the beginning of Jesus' teaching and healing ministry. But as we continue into the Gospel accounts and as Jesus continues to upend the narratives and the perspectives and the assumptions of the kingdom of this world, we find this we find our memory verse for today. Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, will save it. As we offer up our lives, Jesus himself enters in and reshapes our hearts, reshapes our minds, and fits us for life in the kingdom as more than enough people who then dispense Love and grace and the peace of God. So, Pastor Dave mentioned this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent. This is the season when our attention is especially directed toward Jesus now walking toward Jerusalem. Jesus willingly offering up his own life so that we can live with him now and in the future in the kingdom of God. This is the season as well. In this Lenten season, we especially attend to Jesus' invitation to us to let go, to loosen up our tight grip on our own lives in order to live with him in the kingdom of God.